Welcome to Fired Up, an original podcast from Ignite Fan Insights, powered by NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. This is a podcast for sports business pros like you. We go behind the gates and beyond the numbers that keep sports fans coming back for more. Our host, Chris Wise, is the brains behind Ignite Fan Insights. With a commitment to research and innovation for over 30 years, he knows the right questions to ask, and more importantly, what to do with the answers. Get ready for engaging in-depth conversations with sports industry leaders that will inspire you to take action and connect with your fans. I'm Chris McAdoo, and this is Fired Up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fired Up. It's a podcast from Ignite Fan Insights, and we are powered by NASCAR. And we are happy to be here live at the National Sports Forum 25th anniversary in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Fired Up is a podcast that takes you behind the gates and beyond the numbers that keep sports fans coming back for more. And how do we get that knowledge? Well, we talk with people like Jim Kaler from Ohio University and Sean O'Hara from the Las Vegas Raiders, who are our guests on this episode. And we are so stoked to have you guys. Excited to be here and be a part of the uh, the podcast. There we go, man. Yeah, well, it's awesome to be here with Jim, part of the program, and, and again, connecting on a, a national level. So thanks for having us. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm Chris McAdoo, and I'm going to hand it off to Chris Wise, the general manager and the man behind the data that makes the things happen, Chris Wise, you've been asking the right questions and getting the right answers for over 30 years. Well, I've been asking <laughs> questions for 30 years. That's true. <laughs> I'm going to take, take it away, Chris. Okay. Jim, thanks. Sean, thanks. I'm going to ask each one of you separately. Jim, you start. Just tell a little bit more about you. Tell us about yourself, your career, yeah, yeah. and kind um, of what makes you tick. What, what, what makes really? me tick is getting the next generation of grad students ready for the sports business industry. I was one of those kids almost 40 years ago. Go back to Ohio University class of 1981. And then I spent 20 years in the industry. Probably the most significant were the 10 and a half years as the senior VP of sales and marketing with the Cavaliers. But then Sean Kemp drove me to academia. <laughs> Sean. Oh, there's always some motivation. That's in there. right, that's right. Well, for me, I uh, grew up in the Philadelphia area, uh, again, a huge sports town, went to UNC undergrad. And again, I think that's the challenge for most of us is we all quickly realize we're not going to be professional athletes. So, all right, how do I continue to work in sports? And I think understanding that there's a business side to sports and, okay, what can I do? How can I specialize in certain things? And so uh, I was fortunate enough to have mentors put me in the direction to go to a university program like Ohio where I think over the last 20 years, there's been a ton of programs that have sprung up. But I think that's been the thing that's made Ohio stand out from the crowd is that they've been doing this for over 50 years. They have a playbook that they run and they have a network that is uncomparable to any other program. And so to be able to pick up the phone and call the chief revenue officer for the Dallas Cowboys or the San Francisco 49ers or the AD of the University of Kentucky and ask them for advice and their response is time is again second to none it's a game changer and so here i am i'm actually getting ready to go back in a couple of weeks for our 10-year reunion program oh that's awesome that's awesome how did you find out about the program again 
I was told there's a few programs to go to uh, back in again t- 2007. They didn't exist like they do today, and so it was like, hey, take a look at these programs. And I arrived on a s- snowy night, and again, Athens, Ohio, and. And that's the thing a lot of people think about. It's like, oh, wait, Athens, Ohio? Like, you don't go to Ohio State? It's like, no, there's this small college town, Athens, Ohio, and yet you look at the industry, so many people know it because, again, they spent time there, they've learned, and it was great. I had roommates from Kentucky, California, and Oregon. And so we had a diverse background, and we're, again, excited to see you all be successful now in our careers. What do you do for the Raiders? director of corporate partnerships and my job is to sell the naming rights on the building and then huge founding partnerships that range in size and scale from about an annual investment of two million dollars to for a term of 10 years so asking for a lot of money but again that's what the value of sports is I mean it's the ability to connect to fans in an unbelievable way and, and in Vegas they've never had professional sports so this is a huge game changer for not just city of Vegas but for sports in general uh, from a gambling perspective. Well, this has to be pretty interesting for you at this point in your career to essentially build that, right? To come into Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's the thing is, the Golden Knights were born there. They were a franchise that didn't exist, but here we are bringing an iconic franchise like the Raiders, who've been around for 60 years, are known as the world's team. The silver and black colors, the excitement, the proximity to you know the two markets that they previously spent time in, Oakland and L.A., and then to build this magnificent stadium that sits right on the strip and every football fan is going to be like okay my team's playing in vegas i want to come there yeah so, he's he's holding brown's tickets for me right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is part of the draw that's not part of the decision process right to to come to vegas is because so many would people would from out of market would want to come right i mean i think if you poll fans and we did and asked them okay where would you want to go for uh, see your team play I mean, over 75% of people said, I want to go to Vegas. And the part of that is the fact that unlike any other city, you go there, everybody stays on this 4.3-mile strip. <laughs> like, if you go to New York, you might be in Ellis Island, you may be in Manhattan, you're in L.A., it's spread out. Everybody's coming there, and they're spending the time there. And the town is built on hospitality and experience, so they know how to entertain. And uh, they're going to give people a, an amazing experience, and hopefully – their team loses and the Raiders win, but right, uh, right. they had a good time while they did it. So you've obviously nurtured many professionals. Talk a little bit about that, that nurturing and that, and what that has meant to you personally over the years, and how do you look at it for the future? That That's easy. So I was with the Cavaliers from November of 91 to July of 02, and uh, that's the pre-LeBron era. So when, when the Cavs finally won a championship for my hometown, the city of Cleveland, a lot of my students said, gee, gee Jim, don't, don't you wish you were there to be a part of it? But I would trade, I wouldn't trade this for the world. I think I got the best job in sports because I wake up with a team every day like Sean. These kids are undefeated. And, you know, we're getting 150 applications a year and we're only taking 20, 25. So we're really getting the best of the best. I get them for two years, get a chance to mold them, and then really how does any student put an ROI on the graduate degree? Well, I, w- I would tell you, look at our job placements, and you see where these kids are going. And, and then, you know, just the other day, my first GA from Ohio University, Brent Schaub, he's the CRO <laughs> of the 49ers, he made 40 under 40. 
I guess I'm getting pretty old if my first GA <laughs> made 40 under 40. 40, under 40 yeah. But but I want to be around for a while, so maybe I'll make 100 under 100. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of, this is kind of interesting, especially for the audience of folks that are young, that are coming up, that want to put themselves in the best position to succeed, right? So, and I think this could go to both of you, is what are some of the things that you've seen year over year that have helped young people come in, learn, and take that next step to that right career or make that right career move? Well, when we get them, a lot of them have some experience with sport. In Sean's case, he was around the basketball program at UNC. So he's got an idea on what it's all about. But then what we're looking for is really what this guy has, outstanding relationship skills. You guys just met him and you have no problem striking up a, a conversation. He's passionate about what he does. And, and I used to say in my, I still say in my sales class, take this from Mark McCormick, the number one attribute of a successful salesperson is having a passion and a belief in the product they represent. So you can see how passionate he is about the Raiders. So he's going to come into a meeting and he's going to bring it to life. And he's, he's learned all the right things to do in the trade to put a successful partnership together. And I think that's a big thing that's when you look at programs, it's thinking about, okay, are you going for to the program for the right reason? If you're going for the piece of paper, that's probably the wrong reason. If you're going there to, to learn, to really roll up your sleeves and be part of what, again, the culture and environment, this is a family environment. Ohio is a family and, and the ability to help one another grow in their careers. That's what excites us. And that's what, coming back and giving back to students because so many people have helped me move up in my career through phone conversations, through networking, through meetings or introductions, or even references. And now to be able to you know, pay that forward and give back and then knowing that people that came into this program have that DNA, I want to hire that person, right? Because I know that they still got a great filter and they got the right talent coming through there. But I think that's the other thing that Jim was always good about, analogy he used to use is like of all sports analogies, it's like, hey, you might be shooting a, a full court shot right now, but I'm going to set you a screen. I'm going to get you a good look at the basket. And, and that's ultimately, it's up to each individual to, again, apply themselves and get the job. But Ohio has set us up to get a better look at the basket. I was going to ask you, Jim, within, within your program, how broad a brush topically do you, do, you, do you cover to prepare them for the sports world? Meaning, what, well, what, what, there are so many different aspects of, of front office work. Yeah, great question, but I, I think it all starts with where they go after they leave us. So I like to tell people we have four food buckets, and those food buckets are professional sports, college athletics, facility and special event management. You want to work in the Olympics or run an arena. And then the one that's really taken off in the last couple decades is working for a sports marketing agency, helping brands activate their investments in, in sponsorships. So if you look at our stats every year, they're going to fall in one of those buckets. And every now and then somebody will end up at a place like Nike. Uh, I was showing you the list before. Yeah. We, we got a lot of senior executives at Nike because my second life, I want to come back and work at Nike. You know, it's just a great <laughs> culture. Yeah. Yeah, I think the funny part is most people come there with their mind like, hey, I'm, this is what I want to do. And then by being in the program over time, they're like, wow, I never would have known that this is what this is like or this is what working for a college athletics. And you shift. And that's great. And I think that's part of what the program does. It's not all classroom work. 
we've they've got expansive projects with unbelievable organizations and so you get exposed to this and then quickly realize okay you know what this is really interesting i really want to learn more about this and you might pivot and i think that's the great part about the program is these projects and internships and it, it's something that they can't get anywhere else and then two is understanding that in today's world right most people aren't staying at a job for 30 years so it's about get, going to get that experience and then focusing in on more of, okay, I got this great experience. I like doing this. How do I keep doing that and moving on in my career? And, and a big part of my job is alumni relations. So how do you keep your alumni happy? You get them that first job in sports, but if you can help them get that second and third job, who do you think they're going to call when they have an entry-level position? Oh, right. and, and, and we think of us as a search firm with no, with no fee. No fee. There I get go. calls every week like okay Jimmy I'm looking for somebody that's got three to five years experience that can do this or I'm looking for somebody that's been out ten years that can do that who do you have for me who in that alumni directory do you think's ready to take that next move it's the farm so, system yeah yeah wow, and cool. like literally everybody's coming up and, and trying to understand and keep tabs on okay who's the next hot shot who's the rising star how can I get and Look, I think, too, the other thing, most times recruiters are only going to hire VP, director-level positions, but yet people that are in those positions wanting to hire entry-level, they want to grow them up to yeah. be those roles. So if we can again, and you, steal talent from Ohio, it's, it's you, great. You've met many of them here. Yeah. If this conference has a 1,000 attendees, we had an alumni reception last night with 70 Bobcats. And and I, I wish we could have had you guys over, but they're wow. they're coming from all sectors of the country and all disciplines. Wow! Do you, within within your academic environment, do you also pull disciplines from from other schools, from business school or for hospitality? So or? we we are in the College of Business, okay. And our students are really getting a dual degree. Year one, they get their MBA. Year two, they get their MSA. So awesome. when Sean left Ohio University, he had two grad degrees in two years. Is that unique? Because that sounds unique to me. Well, I, I, I think our program's unique. And as Sean said, uh, we're the birthplace of sports business education. So it goes back to 1966, and it was the vision of the owner of the L.A. Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers, Walter O'Malley. Uh, Walter wow. was on the board of trustees at Columbia, and he said, you know, we, we got to start training these kids how to run my ball club. This is, this is getting to be a business. So this was late 1950s when these conversations started in Columbia we got to give a shout out to Columbia and thank them in their infinite wisdom they said sports bunch of dumb jocks we're not going there and uh, there was a young PhD student by the name of uh, Jim Mason Dr. James Mason on his way to Ohio University and he said you know what I bet you I could get this started at a place like Ohio University so I'd love to tell you it was part of a strategic plan but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you've been out, how long have you been there? Just celebrated my 14th anniversary, but I was there as a graduate student back in 1980, 81. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So from the educational perspective, you've seen all these guys come through, and you have seen you know, folks come straight out, and then you get to see that career trajectory of you know, all the way to the director level kind of things where they're hiring you guys. It's it's better than putting a championship ring on your finger because LeBron made a shot. It's absolutely better to be a part of that. And I think that's the cool part too is 
we all came here with these just competitive and passionate aspirations. And as I was saying earlier, when I, was, I had roommates from all over the country. So, and we're all going into those different four buckets and we're each other's biggest fans. And like when someone closes a big deal or gets a new job, it's like, you know, we're celebrating them because uh, to his point, again, I just had another cla classmate of mine, Jesse Giordano, She's also under 40, under 40 yeah. this year. Two in and, this year's class. Really? And, yeah, yeah. You know, she's been a, an amazing industry leader. And to, to be able to just, you know, I shot her a text and said, congratulations. We're texting back and forth. And it's like, that's the network. That's the family connection point. And so we're all, we're all hoping to continue to, to rise in our individual ranks and support one another. What do you see as the next thing? Like, I mean, you know, what are you what are you even teaching now that you weren't five years ago? What do you think is going to be the next five years? Um, uh, we're on it. Legalize sports gambling. Today, it's a twenty five billion dollar industry. Three years from now, it'll be a hundred billion dollar industry. So we're getting ready to roll out an executive education certificate for college athletic administrators on sports gambling awareness. If you're the AD at a big time school, what do you need to know, the terminology, how it works, and how outside influences are going to be looking for inside information? And it, it's, wow. it's an amazing thing to see things evolve, because to your point, when I was in the program over a decade ago, you know, the economy had just dropped, right? In 2008, you know, it was a challenging environment. So what became a huge topic was analytics and ROI and measurement, and that just went off to a huge trajectory. And every Every company and property is thinking, okay, I want to measure my sponsorship. Like, I don't just, you know, I can't be spending willy-nilly. I need to know this is actually delivering value for my brand. So to Jim's point, that was kind of the major thing that was happening as well as how social media was progressing. But now I think he's right on the next frontier, what is happening with sports betting. I mean, we're, the Raiders, we're in the Mecca, right? We're in the number one. We've got great relationships, but now it's spreading across the entire US and how companies, universities, everybody is a part of it is gonna be a, a critical thing to be have knowledge on. By, by the way, I am a huge proponent of legalized sports gambling because what, what's it gonna mean for this industry, okay? It's gonna increase TV ratings. It's gonna increase sponsorships for the teams and leagues that, that partner up. And for the fan, it's gonna solve the fan engagement problem because when fans go to events, they're tied to their cell phones. Now they'll be able to do prop bets. I mean, I'm a baseball fan, but baseball's a long game. If I can break that game into nine games and do a prop bet when I'm there with Sean having a good time on will the uh, Cleveland Indians score this next inning, all of a sudden time's going to come around a little bit quicker and it's going to be <laughs> so it, it, as a fan engagement tool, I, I think it not only in, in venue, but also if you're sitting home on your couch with, with uh, online gambling. Well, as I say, so much of what we have heard and what we have learned is that the sports fan of today doesn't just want to watch. You want to be part of the competition. You want to be part of that experience. Yes, and, and, and if you think of what sports gambling does, you don't have to run the 40 and 4-2 to put down a prop bet. And then I'm, I'm talking about the Joe fan that's going to put a pizza bet down. Uh, you know, there are negatives to sports gambling and people losing their mortgages and all that, that that get addicted to gambling, but like anything else. But but I think for average 
Joe six-pack that wants to put a prop bet down and he can afford to lose five or ten dollars a little bit of skin in the game makes the the experience a lot more interesting and I think the engagement factor right it's like how do I engage the audience in stadium as well as at home because you're right is now I'm distracted I got other things going on but now I have this involvement I'm sharing it with friends obviously that was what happened with these fantasy leagues that again ultimately got us into the sports betting and so now teams like us we're trying to figure out uh, what that looks like because currently the NFL rules don't allow us to, to do that again I say currently because things are going to change soon. I, I, I yeah. get a chuckle when I hear that because when I first started working in the NBA in 1991 we were not allowed to sell a sponsorship to a casino. By the time I left in 02 David Stern had sold a WNBA team <laughs> to a casino. Yeah yeah yeah. So th things will evolve. Will change. Yeah and I think that's what we're trying to figure out and I think people ask me hey is there going to be a sports book in the Allegiant Stadium? Not, not when it opens up but I don't think it's far from there. No. Yeah, and if, if you look at what New Jersey is really getting out in front of it, and we just did a, uh, a presentation uh, at this conference, but the, the sports gambling category for the New Jersey Devils is worth $5 million a year. Ooh. I used to think when Coca-Cola was spending a million dollars with us, that was a big deal. It was. Yeah, <laughs> it still is. Pivot over to eSports for me. Yes. And where do you play? Where do you play in esports? We uh, Ohio University just announced a redesign in our college communications uh, six hundred twenty-five thousand dollar facility, and that's not just for a competitive team, but for kids that just just the average player that wants to come. So I, I think you're seeing a trend across the United States. When Sean was looking at schools, it's like, hey, what kind of rec center does UNC have? Now they better have an esports facility. So it, it and it's you know it's an arms race like right. like many other parts, but it's also an enrollment driver. So if we don't invest in esports, we we may lose a kid to another you know another school. So that's a participation perspective. But what about from a then oh, part the of your program side? and the business side? Of oh it. yeah. So we we already have had some students that have gone on that. A student that is now overseeing an esports program at a university. Another one that's working with one of the top promoters. So, you know, when, you, when you're selling out Madison Square Garden and the Staples Center to watch a bunch of people playing eSports, I'm not sure I get it, but I know it's something that, that we are, you know, investing in and, yeah. and brushing up on. I don't get it, but I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah one of our, our big partners in uh, Vegas is Twitch. So yeah. they're going to have a, a gaming lounge at our stadium. They're actually bringing their national conference, TwitchCon, to Vegas. Uh, Vegas has become an esports destination, the HyperX Arena. There's a number of events that are coming there. So that's the thing that I think is really cool about Vegas in general is, you know, here you had a city that five years ago, professional sports didn't exist, but within the next 10 years, it could be the sports entertainment capital of the, of the world. I mean, we've got the NFL, you got the NHL, you've got conference championships, multiple esports events, NASCAR races, boxing match, UFC, you name it, it's in Vegas. American Ninja Warrior. There you go. <laughs> yes. Well, what do you guys see coming up? We've talked about opportunities from you know esports to others. What do you guys see as some of the biggest challenges that you're going to be seeing over the course of the next couple of years, two years? Keeping arenas and stadiums full. I think if you look at the business model of professional sports, 
for the first time ever, media rights are eclipsing ticket revenue as in the number one source. So this next generation of marketers and administrators are going to have to figure a way to keep those arenas and stadiums full. And there's a lot of great companies here that new technology and, and, and new strategy that, that are helping along with that. I was in a session yesterday with Fivo, and I was just blown away. I don't know if you had a chance to talk to those guys, but where was that in, in you know 2002 when I, I could have used it? So technology will improve the game, but we, we tell our students 80% of the ticket revenue in an arena or stadium, and Sean's on this, comes from 20% of the inventory. Think about that, 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of the, the inventory with your, your suites and your club seats and your courtside suites. But at the same time, to keep that atmosphere fired up, you gotta keep the upper bowl full. Right. You gotta find a way to keep that next generation of sports fans coming through. So to me, that, that'll be the biggest challenge in the next decade. Yeah, I would agree with it. And I think also just not outpricing the ability for families to go, right? Tickets and things continue to go up. It's like, okay, what else am I going to do with that experience? What else could I do with that money? So figuring out, uh, and two, there's a limited amount of events to go to. So look, what else am I doing to, if I'm a sold out building, how else am I connecting to everybody else so, and giving them opportunities to engage and be part of it, even if they can't be in the arena or at, this, at right. the game? So right. I think uh, those are some big challenges. And then just finding ways from a standpoint of, you know, what's going to happen from a generational standpoint of if you didn't grow up going to a game, okay, when you're at an adult age, like, are you going to want to go to a game or do you even care? And I think that's the tough part like I see right now with college athletics is, you know, it starts there, right? And if they don't go to sporting events that are free, they, why are they going to pay, yeah, when, pay when, for money? When he was a student at Carolina, they were dying to get in the building. Now... You don't have to camp out 24 hours to, to be able to walk into the Dean Dome and, and get a seat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. You see, you see, obviously, stadiums downsizing or they're reconfiguring their, 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 their offering so that 20% inventory is slowly growing. It's growing to more than 20%, right? And in some cases where the premium offering is, continues to expand, and in some cases, in order to, to hit some revenue numbers. But, Somebody's always going to want to sit in the front row or that suite on the 50-yard line. But yeah. again, yeah, credit to what we've learned here in terms of what State Farm Arena has reimagined their spaces yes. and made them more about spaces and experiences versus just sitting in a seat and being still for two hours. You know, People want to move around. People want to do different things. And so creating more environments where people can do that, I think, is going to be of value to a lot of these arenas. And, and while you won't... And I think that's the other interesting thing is like, is there going to be like a another wave like there was in the early 2000s of all these new arenas and stadiums? It's like, okay, they're getting it to that age of 20, 25 years, 30. So are you really going to knock it down or are you going to rebuild it just like they did in Cleveland with uh, Rocket Mortgage and yeah. what they've yeah. done with that facility? How is your new facility different than any of the others more recent facilities? Well, I think it gets to that initial question of sizing, right? You know, we could have easily made some of these, you know, 80,000. We sized it right, 65,000 seats. Vegas is the 40th largest market, but we also found that, hey, if we keep this tight, it also becomes a premium thing that, hey, to get a ticket to get into that space is going to be a unique thing. Our stadium will have really four major unique things. One, 
uh, like the stadium in Glendale, we'll have a grass field that will rotate in and out of the stadium. So that'll go on its own wheels. It'll, it's a four-foot block that'll go outside the stadium and then get rolled in on game day. The other part of it, we will have a eight-story torch in the one end zone that is uh, commemorating Al Davis, uh, Mark Davis's father, mm-hmm. that, again, he saw at the L.A. Coliseum and wanted to bring to life here. We'll also have a roof that, again, it's a dome, but it, it's translucent. It's the first one done in North America where they're laying a special ETFE polymer on top of it that'll give it that natural feel but keep it really cool. And then the iconic Instagrammable moment will be We've got this huge platform where these lanai doors will open up. And when you're standing on that platform, you will be looking directly at the strip. And so for every fan, you're going to be like, oh, let's meet here. Let's get this amazing picture. So it's all going to be about experience. That sounds amazing just from a a forward-thinking, progressive, like how are we going to engage the fan where they are and entertain them, right, and keep them coming back. We're, we, Jim, or, yeah, do you guys have anything to add before we get well, back yeah, to the... Well, before we, <laughs> we shut down this podcast, yesterday we presented our findings on the, what the sponsors think. So I've been doing this research with Ron Siever and the National Sports Forum for 20 years now. And every two years, we will talk to, this year, 26 of the top brands in, in North America that are heavily engaged in sponsorship. So talking about Anheuser-Busch, Coca-Cola, AT&T, we provide those individuals with anonymity, but we we will not put them in the study unless they give us permission to show you who we talk to. So by giving them anonymity, they can let their hair down and they can tell guys like Sean what they like, what they don't like, and what they want to see with their partnerships and their future uh, sponsorships. Question for each one of you. How will you keep your brand relevant in terms of the, the Raiders? As, uh, or in terms of, the, yeah, not your personal brand, okay. but the Raiders. Well, that too, if you yeah, want to, but no. that's not a bad I think question. The, the key thing is, look, we're reinventing ourselves, right? We just named ourselves the Las Vegas Raiders a few weeks ago. So <laughs> I think the key thing for us is to, again, build the game of football, right? Vegas has never had a professional sports team. And so to grow the game of football, it's really important, I think, that's really, uh, because of the fact that of all the helmet issues, concussions that have kind of caused some detrimental image is trying to sell the game as being, a, again, what sports is so special. So, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for the brand is to figure out how they build upon this first year success and knowing that, you know, sports is cyclical. So as much as you can find success and achieve it, we all know we can't control what happens on the field, so you got to build deep roots within the community. Yeah. So quick quick trivia question for you guys. 1950, what were the top two sports in the United States? Baseball? Ooh, baseball. And 1950, top 50. two sports in the United States. I wasn't States. born yet. I don't say that often. Uh, <laughs> baseball? I'll say football, but I'm not. Quidditch. Okay. How, how about horse racing and boxing so a lot can change over time the nfl didn't come on the scene with tv to the 60s right and what did horse racing have gambling okay saturday night at the fights i mean it was a action-packed sport so your question about how are we staying relevant uh, i'm going to steal a line from 
Arthur Blank's presentation <laughs> yesterday, and they said, what's next? And he, he simply said one thing. There is no finish line. If we don't keep creating new programs like our professional MSA program, where working professionals can now get the same degree that Sean has by taking the courses online, they're here for one of their residencies. If we don't create sports gambling awareness certificates, mm -hmm. we, we cannot be satisfied. There, there is no finish line, and our alumni are going to expect this out of us. You know, so if they see us falling behind one of our competitors, this guy's going to pick up the phone and give me a call and say, hey, hey what's going on? He's going to hold your feet to the fire. Yeah, yeah. and, and we, we, I've said we that, expect him to. Yeah, yeah I've, I've often said that to, to people that I, in, well, in the research world, you have to stay relevant, you have to stay current or ahead of current or you die. Right, and exactly. Because there's someone right behind you that's going to take it. Well, Jim Kaler from Ohio University, you are right, man. There's no finish line. <laughs> yeah. So the opportunity, it's an opportunity and a challenge, but it's an opportunity for everybody to learn, everybody to get better at their job. And Sean O'Hara from the Las Vegas Raiders, it's also, it's, not, it's also an opportunity for each of us to be each other's biggest fan, right? So when somebody does something great, say, man, that's awesome. And, and if you do something great, be ready to share yeah. and be ready to grow the industry, be ready, be ready to grow yourself. Where can folks learn more about your program? And I mean, if you want to learn more about the Las Vegas Raiders, go on the internet. Right. I mean, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go on in. But I would say uh, to his point is if you go on LinkedIn, you go on their website, like you'll just see things and, and you'll see people list that, hey, I, I graduated from this program. You'll see some of the different examples because they're in publications like Sports Business Journal. But I don't know, Jim, where, well, the best we house everything under our center's website. So I run the AECOM Center for Sports Administration. So if they would just type into Google search AECOM, AE. COM, Center for Sports Administration, you'll find all of our offerings. That's awesome. Jim, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all listening, thank you very much for listening in to Fired Up Live from the National Sports Forum. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe. And if you really like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review and tell all your friends. Also, thanks to the good people that power Fired Up and Ignite Fan Insights at NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. To learn more about Ignite Fan Insights and what that exclusive content can mean for you, visit IgniteFanInsights.com and subscribe today. It's a wealth of information all about the fan at no cost to you. Your fan club subscription includes our e-publication, podcasts like this one, exclusive blogs, quarterly e-newsletters, and timely webinars that keep you not only up to speed on what your fans are doing, but ahead of the curve and ready to take on anything that comes at you. Fired Up is hosted by Chris Wise and myself, Chris McAdoo. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time. And as always... Y'all stay fired up.